So we're going to jump into a series that we've been a part of. It's, for, it's called One, and it's based on the book of Ephesians. And so this week we're looking at chapter 4 of Ephesians. And so I hope that you've been reading along with us every day. And then you can jump on Facebook every day at noon. We post a devotional with a couple of scriptures from the book of Ephesians as well. And uh, so chapter 4 is probably, to me, it felt like anyways as I was preparing, kind of the most jam-packed chapter so far of truth. There was a lot in it. And so I had a hard time trying to figure out which direction I was felt like I needed to go and, and which direction I needed to head uh, in my communications with you. And so uh, I picked it out, but I didn't get past verse four. So yeah, so there, there's a whole lot in this chapter that I'm leaving out. And uh, so we're going to start off by looking at Ephesians chapter four. We're going to start in verse one. I'm going to share some things with you today uh, out of this. And, uh, and and so my heart and my, my desire, because we called this series one, and that's a pretty consistent theme throughout the book of Ephesians, uh, is that this was a book written to a church, but it wasn't just for them. It was actually meant to be shared amongst many other churches as well. But one of the themes of the book book of Ephesians is really that of unity, of being of one mind, of one heart. Why? Because we all same serve the same Jesus. And, you know, and so really that is God's desire. You know, Jesus actually prayed a prayer and he said, Lord, make them one as you and I are one. He, and really what he meant by that is let them have the same heart one for another like I have for your heart. And that was really the prayer of Jesus over the church. And, and so I want to share some things with you out of uh, kind of beginning out of Ephesians and then we're going to take a little bit of a walk today through some things and how this applies uh, to us and for us individually, but also as for us as a church. But here in verse one, Paul begins. Now, th- you may know this, you may not. When the Bible was originally written, it wasn't broken up into chapters. So this is actually really the book of Ephesians is a letter that at some point they broke it up into chapters and put verses so that people like me can get up here and say, hey, turn to Ephesians 4. And we know where we're at, not like go two thirds of the way into the chapter and the paragraph that starts with so and so. And so that's the reason what these verses are. But we're going to pick up here in Ephesians 4 verse 1. Paul says, therefore, I a, prison, I, a prisoner for serving the Lord says, beg you. Now, pay attention here. He says, I beg you to lead a life worthy. Now, I've added in these two words, mindful and intentional of your calling. Be mindful, be intentional. He says, lead a life worthy of your calling for you have been called by God. Now, this is an important distinction. Every one of you have a God-given reason to exist. You've been called by God for a purpose, for a reason. You're not here by accident. And here it says that you need to live a life, what? Mindful that you have been called. Why? Because if I'm understanding why I'm here, it tells me what I need to be doing. And it's important that we know these things. And he goes on here and he says, gives us some instructions. And he, because now he almost shifts gears right here in the middle of verse one and verse two, because he says, I want you to be mindful of your calling. He says, and always be humble and gentle. And then he shifts gears a little bit here and goes, be patient with each other, making allowance for each other's faults because of your love. Now, hold on, Paul, I thought we were talking about me and my calling. Why are you talking to me about how I deal with everybody else? Because they're interlinked, they're intertwined. There is no calling of God that doesn't involve other people for any one of us. 
is that I can't do what God's called me to do without you. You can't do what God's called you to do without me or without other people. And it's very important. And he says that we're to be motivated by love is that we're not supposed to be what, let me say it this way, is that it's impossible for you to reach your God desired potential. Like God has a desire for you without other believers. This is not an individual sport. Like it's not just you and Jesus till you make it to heaven. Is that you need people. You need relationships. You need people to come around you. Why? Because your calling is on the line. Like you can't be what God has created you to be by yourself. And we all need people to be able to come and to speak into our lives. And so this is very important. And so he goes on here and he says that we're to be patient, allowing one another or allowing for each other's faults. The the Passion Translation, I believe, gives us a little bit more clarity. It says, always demonstrate gentleness and generous love towards one another, especially those who may try your patience. (laughs) Now, I know you probably don't have anybody who tries your patience. Anybody? Anybody got anybody in mind right now? Just be honest. You're like, I know exactly who you're talking about. How did you know? It's the word of God. He tells us what is that we are to always demonstrate uh, gentleness and generous love, especially to people that try our patience. Now, this has nothing to do with my message, but it's too good of a point not to tell you. Okay, is that if we're not careful, what can happen to us as Christians is we will take the word of God and we will turn it into a set of binoculars that we look at everybody else with versus a mirror that it's intended to be for us to look at ourselves. That's why we've got to come back to love. Like we don't want to just hone in on Because how many of you know it's a lot easier to see somebody else's faults than your own? Like we're just hardwired for that. Maybe maybe because we don't want to see it. But if we're not careful, we can take the word of God. And the truth of that is, is that God's truth can either be a brutal weapon or it can be good medicine. And it just depends on how we use it. It really can. I mean, have you ever had somebody like uh, not very graciously try to correct you with the word of God? And it feels like a brutal weapon. It doesn't really feel like, man, that made me feel good. And I think I can do that. And I think the Lord wants to use me now. And it's just thinking like, uh, but I've also had, and, and Proverbs says this, is that a, a word timely spoken is sweet like honey. It's good to the soul. And so God's word properly applied and so it is good. And so we want to make sure that we're doing what Paul is telling us here. And he's actually saying that we are to walk in love. We're to be mindful of other people's faults. But instead of complaining about them, maybe we should pray for them. Maybe we should pray that God's going to help them even in the midst of whatever it may be. Even when they try our patience. Even when we get frustrated. Paul goes on here in verse 3 in the Amplified Bible. It tells us, it says to make every effort to keep keep the oneness of the Spirit in the bond of peace, each individual working together to make the whole successful. Now, he's talking to a church about the church, and he's giving us instructions. He says, hey, you've been called. Absolutely, you've been called. You have a purpose. But he says, hey, be mindful that not everybody... Is on the same page. And then he goes to verse 3 and says, hey, make every effort to get on the same page with people. I mean, I just gave you, that's my translation of Ephesians 1 or 4, 1 through 3 right there. You're called. 
Let me say it another way. If you have a calling, you also have an agenda. Now, I don't mean that's a bad agenda, but you have a vision. You have a picture of what your calling is supposed to look like. But God is what going to put you in relationship to help refine what his calling is, what his desire is for you. And so he's going to bring you into relationships. Why? Because of what he says here. He says, make every effort to keep the oneness of the spirit. How many of you know that you cannot have a unified heart without the help of the Holy Spirit? It's impossible. I mean, me and Dare have been married for 18 years, been together 22. And I can tell you this, when we pray, we're in sync a lot more. When we're walking with the Lord where we need to be, our, our marriage works better. And a lot of times we'll say, I may say something to her, she'll be like, I've been thinking about that. Not because we had a conversation, but it's because the Holy Spirit's talking to me, the Holy Spirit's talking to her. And then there's that confirmation. It's like, I think we need to do that. And the same is true inside of even a church. And, and so the goal, though, is, is that we all can work together so that everybody is successful. We are one team. We're not, a, you know, can you imagine if a football player, if the center decided he wanted to be quarterback all of a sudden? I'm going to hike the ball to myself and don't worry about the guy who's actually qualified to throw the football. I'm the big dude, but I'm going to throw it. It's not going to work. Why? Because they're a team and there's a play that has been called to run, right? And so it doesn't work if everybody just starts doing their own things. And this is really part of what he's talking about. But even beyond just in the corporate part, the collective part, even in your individual life, is that those relationships, and there are people that God will bring around you at specific times in your life that you need those relationships. You know, we're getting ready in just a couple of weeks to actually next week and the following week, we're going to be communicating to you about groups and groups are going to start our fall semester is going to start in September. And that's part of why we encourage you to get into a group. Why? Because you need to have relationships. You need to be in relationship. You need to be connected one to another. Why? Because it, it helps to bond us together. So that we're not just a bunch of individuals who get together for one hour or an hour and a half on a one day of the week. Is that now it's a family that is gathering in a regular uh, situation and setting. And it's important that we do these things. It's important for you and it's important for the other people in the group that you're there. And so I'll say this. I've said it before. I'll say it again. Is don't just sign up for a group. You got to show up. You got to be present. Like you got to be there. You got to really engage in the group. Why? Because your calling actually can depend upon it. Because there's going to be times that you're going to want to quit and you need somebody to come alongside of you. That's a friend that says, no, you're not going to quit. You're not going to throw in the towel. You've got a calling. You've got a purpose and you've shared some things with me. Let me remind you of what you have shared with me that God has placed in your heart. And we need those people in our life. You know, today after church, we have an interest meeting, a life group training meeting. I would encourage you, even if you're interested, you say, man, I don't know what a life group is. We are going to help you with all that. Even if you think you might be interested, I would encourage you to come. We're going to take about 30 to 45 minutes with you. Be right after service in our discover room. And it's the whole purpose is to help people connect. I mean, that's, that's why we don't actually have a midweek service is to give you time to connect in a group. One service once a week is not enough to live a successful Christian life. It's just not. But we were created for relationship. And one of the things that happens, and this is important, I would say, well, why does it matter? 
Like we're talking about unity and why does, why does Ephesians talk about it? And why does Paul take time to really kind of dive in on this? And, cause to, and really it has to do with the fact that unity actually brings about God's provision, God's power. It brings about God's blessing. God, in Psalms 133, God said it this way. It says, how good and pleasant it is when the brethren dwell in unity. And in verse uh, three of that chapter, it says that God actually says, I will command a blessing when there's unity. God says he'll command a blessing when there's unity. You know, we like to celebrate and many times look at the book of Acts and we say, well, the Holy Spirit got poured out and it was the power of God in, in motion, if you will. But it really wasn't so much a day about power as much as it was a day about unity. The Bible says they were in one place, in one accord, in one heart, in one mind. They were all there for one purpose and they were focused on why they were there, which is what? To obey the commandment of Christ, which was to go and wait for the Holy Spirit to come. And that's why they were there. And so the power was a result of the unity of that group of people, of their hearts being knit together. You know, there, there is something powerful about collective faith. You know, the Bible talks about this in Matthew chapter 18, verse 19. It says, if two or three of you would, would agree upon anything, my father will do it. Well, that sounds like a small group. If two or three people. Now, most small groups are larger than that. But you don't need a lot of people for God to agree on something, for God to work on in that situation, in that circumstance. But you do need some people. You need some people to call on and to say, hey, I, I'm struggling right now and I need some help. Well, that's hard to do if you don't know anybody. And you can come every weekend and you can slip out the back door and, and never actually be known or know anybody else either. Never actually have relationships that are so important for you. And so God has designed us for relationship with him, but with one another. It's not just vertical. There's also a horizontal element in our relational life. And we are created as relational beings. And yet relationships are one of the, can be one of the more challenging things in life too. That's why Paul has given us instructions and he says, hey, you're going to need the help of the Holy Spirit in verse 3 to keep the unity of the faith together. We're going to have to work at this. In verse 4, he goes on and he says, for there is one body and one spirit just as you, uh, just as you have been called to one glorious hope for the future. He says, we have one hope, all of us. Now, we all have individual callings and giftings and talents and abilities and all these things, but we have one hope, and that one hope is Jesus, right? That's the one thing that we all share in common, I pray, in this room, is that we all have a personal relationship with Jesus, that we have encountered what it means to be saved, like not just in word, but in heart, like that there has been a, a real change and a shift in us that has now produced what God wants in us. And, and, and it's very important that we understand this. And, and you know, in, Ma in Matthew chapter 16, I'm going to just read the, the meat of this. But you say, well, what is that glorious hope? What is the future that it's talking about here? And Simon Peter was speaking and, and Jesus, asked, well, Jesus asked the disciples a question one day. And it's an important question. And I think it's a question that we all have to ask ourselves too. Because the answer to this question is pretty pivotal to our relationship with the Lord. And Jesus asked the question, but who do you say that I am? Like not, not who does Pastor David say that Jesus is, 
Like, who do you as an individual say that Jesus is? Who is he to you? And, and what does that mean in your life? And, and, and what effect does that have? And Simon Peter speaks up and says, you are the Messiah, the son of the living God. And Jesus responds and says, hey, Simon, you're blessed because my father in heaven revealed this to you. You didn't learn this from any hu- other human being. And he says, and now I say to you, Peter, which means rock, upon this rock, I will build my church. Now, I know this is a mouthful, but what's happening here is that Peter makes a declaration and he says that you are the Messiah. Well, what does that word Messiah mean? Because this, remember, we're talking about one hope. What is this one glorious future hope? It is Jesus being who he said he was. And here, Peter has the revelation that Jesus is the Messiah. What does the word Messiah mean? It means deliverer. It means savior. It it, it has, I mean, you go research it and study it. It has so many meanings. And Jesus says, Peter, you're right. But no one else told you about this. This was a revelation. And sometimes people think, well, upon Peter, that Jesus said he was going to build his church. He says, no, on the revelation that Jesus is Lord of Lord, that Jesus is King of Kings, that he will build his church. That's what the scriptures are saying. And why is this important? Because what Jesus says right following that, he says, upon the understanding of who Jesus is, he says, I will build my church. He says, and all the powers of hell will not conquer it. Other translations would say it this way, is the gates of hell will not prevail against it. And sometimes we can have the idea that we're trying to like keep Satan out, right? Like devil bad, we don't want anything to do it. And we're trying, you mean, and, and I understand the thought is I'm trying to keep bad things away. You have to realize is that the enemy, the devil is actually more afraid of you as a Christian than you are of him. And what he's hoping is that you never figure that out. That's why the Bible says that he's like a roaring lion looking for whom he may. Doesn't say that he can. It says that he may devour. I mean, how many of you have a gate on your house? I have half a fence and not a gate yet, but it's coming. Praise the Lord. I'm not trying to keep things in my backyard with a gate. Right? I want to keep people out. Don't come in my yard. Don't come in my space. Right? I mean, have you ever been attacked by a gate? It's not really, they're not really offensive. They're defensive, right? And yet here Jesus says that his church, that all of hell cannot resist the power of the church. When the church comes together. When we pull our our abilities and who we are together. But many times we have the idea like, oh, we don't want to, you know, we don't want to do these things. And and you even get into the thought and the question can be, well, how does Jesus build his church one person at a time? It's no different than a house with bricks. How do you build a brick wall? One brick at a time. You don't all of a sudden just magically a wall appear. And so there's relationships that have to be had. And we have to understand is that God wants us to take ground for the kingdom of God. He says it here. He says that I will build my church. He's going to do it through every one of us, through influence, through relationship. You've got neighbors and coworkers and family members that don't know the Lord and yet I believe that God will give you opportunity to speak into their heart, to speak into their life. Why? So that they can come to understand who Jesus is and what he desires to do. And so that's how we do it personally. 
is that we ought to be about what Jesus is about. Well, Jesus is about lost people. The Bible says that he came to seek and save that which is lost. That was the whole purpose. That's why he came. Well, if that was Jesus's focus, it ought to be our focus. But how does that look even inside of us for us as a church? How do we stay unified as a church? How do we know why we're here? Well, we ought to be about what Jesus is about. We ought to be what what the word of God shows us that he's about. And so I want to share some things just in the next few minutes. I'm not going to spend a lot of time on this because I'm going to be spending more time on it uh, here in a couple months uh, in some things. But I do want you to understand some things. And it's important because remember what the what Ephesians or yes, what Ephesians told us is to what work hard to maintain the unity of the faith, work hard to maintain the unity of one another. And so I'm going to share some things with you. And some of this is, uh, might be new information for you. Some of it is going to be old, but you know, we have a purpose for our church and it's important that we know what it is. It's not so important that we can just recite it as it is that we understand it. And so I want to share something with you just in these next few moments is that because, and this is important because some of you would be able to tell me this. Some of you may not, but our vision includes four steps. Number one, we want you to know God. We want you to find some freedom. Number two, we want you to figure out why you're here, discover your purpose so that you can go out and make a difference. And that may sound like all great and you're like, yay, that's who we are as a church. But here's what I want you to catch in this moment is that this is not our vision just for this church. This is actually God's vision for you as an individual. And I'm going to show you this. It's in scripture over 20 times that you're going to see these four elements. I'm not going to share all 20 with you. You're welcome. I'm going to share one with you. But this is New Testament, Old Testament. This is God's desire for every one of you. So like when I talk about finding freedom, it's not just, hey, I think it's a good idea as a church. No, this is God's desire for you as an individual. The Bible tells us that it is for freedom that Christ is what? Set us free. You know, I was talking about groups a minute ago. Let me give you an example of this. And this is why this matters. Because find freedom, actually, you need some relationships. You can go fact check me on this. Go read the story of Lazarus. If you're not familiar with the story of Lazarus, he was a gentleman who had died. Jesus gets word that he's very sick for whatever reason. Who knows why? Jesus delays a couple days. In that space of time, Lazarus passes away. Jesus shows up. One of Lazarus' sisters come to him and says, Lord, if you would have come here a couple days ago, my brother would still be alive. And he says, you know, and he basically says, do you believe that I am life? Do you believe I am the resurrection? And she says, of course I do one day. And he says, no, I'm the resurrection right now. He's like, where did they put him? And she's like, well, he's in the grave. Where do you think he is? And he's like, take me there. So he goes there. And he says, roll the stone away, open the casket. And she has a very natural response like, uh, Jesus, he's going to smell it's been a couple days. I mean, go read the scriptures. This is, I'm not exaggerating. This is what happened. But there's an interesting fact that I think many people miss in that story is that Jesus calls him by name and says, Lazarus, come forth. And Lazarus comes out of the grave. Now, I want to see the video of this when I get to heaven because I think it looks very differently than most of us think because of what scriptures say. Because we get this idea that this idea, I believe, that Lazarus just comes walking out of the grave. I don't think, I think he actually had to hop. And I'm about to tell you why I think this. Is that it says that Lazarus came forth alive 
And Jesus looked at those around him and said, go loose the things that bind him. One translation says this way, go remove his grave clothes. So think of like a mummy. That's the way they buried people. They would wrap them in cloth. So his hands and his feet were very likely bound. And so that's why I say he probably hopped because I think he probably actually did. At least that's the way it happened in my mind. One day we'll see if I'm right. But, but it's interesting. And think about this. Jesus, creator of the universe, raises somebody from death into life. And life happened, but he still had some issues. He still had some things holding him back, right? And Jesus looked at those around him and says, go help him. Now, how many of you have a death to life story with Jesus where your heart came alive unto Jesus? And what I'm telling you is you may still have some grave clothes that somebody can help you with. And you may not even be aware of it. And that's why this matters. And so this is not just a a story or just something that we think is a good idea is that this is the heart of God for you. And so I want to show you this in Scripture. One of the first accounts of it, it comes out of the book of Exodus. The backstory of this is the uh, nation of Israel have been slaves in a foreign land for years and years and years. And this is God's promises to them. But it's also God's promise to you. And I'm going to show you in two verses, all four elements, and we're going to walk through it pretty quick. So in Exodus chapter 6, verse 6. It picks up and it says, Therefore say to the Israelites, I am the Lord. I will bring you out from the yoke of the Egyptians. I've highlighted, there's four I wills. We'll talk about these. I will bring you out from the yoke of the Egyptians. I will free you from being slaves to them. And I will redeem you with an outstretched arm and with mighty acts of judgment. I will take you as my own people and I will be your God. And then you will know that I am the Lord, your God, who brought you out from under the yoke of the Egyptians. Now, I don't have time to dive into the full story of what was going on. But here's the, the big idea is that the nation of Israel was not where God wanted them. And he says, these are the four things I'm going to do. And so he says it this way. He says, I will bring you out. I'm going to deliver you. I'm going to take you from a land where you don't belong and bring you to where I want you. So I'm going to bring you out. He says, I will free you. He says, I will redeem you and I will take you as my own people. Now, these four elements are the four elements of our vision. So when we start talking about, when we say, hey, we want people to know God, what it really means is that God wants to set you apart. We call it being saved and really more accurately, even more than being saved, because I don't think people really um, do that word justice, is that the Bible says we have to be born again. Like there needs to be a transformation that has happened. doesn't mean that we're perfect, but it means that something has shifted in my life. I mean, I grew up in church, but when I got saved, when I encountered Jesus, things changed and people took notice. I've shared this before, but one of the ways that my mom told me that she knew that something had happened was because my desire to just consume ESPN at an unnatural level had changed. Now, you may say, well, that's not a big deal. You have no idea how much I watched. I watched a lot of it. And then my friends begin to point out areas of my life. Why? Because there was, there was a, a real heart change in my life. And, and so part of being uh, what we would call salvation, that is that know God. And not just, we don't want people, and I don't want you to know God just in a mental 
perception, if you will. I don't want you to have, let me say it this way. I want you to have heart knowledge, not head knowledge. There's nothing wrong with head knowledge, and we ought to have some head knowledge of the Word of God. But without the life in our heart, it's just words. It's just education. There's no transformation that can happen. And yet when someone gets saved, the Bible says that we're like Lazarus. We get what? We, come, we were dead in our sin, and we come alive unto God. This is why we are here. It's for you to be able to know who God is in a very personal and a very real way. Not in theory, not in conception, not in idea, but in a heart level deep within you that I know that I may not understand everything about the Bible, but I know that God is real. That is why we exist. That is God's desire that you would know him at that kind of a level where you have this conviction that, no, it's not just a good idea. And I'm not just trying to be a good person. No, I'm a saved person. I've been set apart. I've been called out of what? Out of my bondage. So we get that by accepting Jesus. It's salvation. Well, it's interesting, though, is that there is a second part of this because He says, I will bring you out from Egypt. But then he says, I will free you from being slaves to them. One way that you could say this is that God could deliver them out of Egypt, but it doesn't mean the mentality of being a slave in Egypt had left them. And so they were free, but they still acted. Right? Well, there are many times in all of our lives, none of us are exempt from this, is that we're saved, we're going to heaven, we love Jesus, but there are still areas of our life that the enemy has a stronghold. And so we're, we're saved, we're Christians, we're no longer, you know, the Bible says that we've been moved from what? The kingdom of darkness into the kingdom of light. Yes, but you may have the thought of, well, why do I still struggle with certain things? I thought when I got saved, I thought everything was just going to be fixed. I thought God was going to take care of all this stuff and everything was just going to be easy. And yet we still deal with some things. Why? Because there's still some freedom. There's still some areas of of our lives, of, of what we experience, that God wants to work on. Look, he's not mad at us for it. He saved us for it. Think of it this way. God knew what he was signing up for before he sent Jesus for us. He knew me, and he knew you, and he said yes anyways, without reservation. The Bible says that he spared no expense. He sent the absolute best that heaven could offer to come after us. So we have to what? And the Bible talks about this, is that we can renew our mind. We have to understand that the Bible is not law to be followed. It's life to be experienced. So there's multiple ways you can do this. Yes, you can get into groups. We have a specific group called a freedom group. And no, it's not. I mean, I had somebody ask me this, and it was an honest question. And I never really considered it. And they said, hey, is this like for people who are dealing with addiction? Like, and there's not, and look, it would be fine for that. It's not solely that. Is that there's people who struggle with substance, yes. But there's also people that deal with things in their soul, there are strongholds, there's, there's past things, there, there are uh, situations and circumstances that affect you to this day that you may not even be aware of. And God wants you to what? Get understanding from the word of God that would set you free. And that's what, uh, what God wants to do. And so God wants to save you. God wants to deliver you, Right? So that's that find freedom element. And every one of, let me just, let me just kind of level the playing field. Every one of us, every single one of us 
need freedom in some area of our life. Every single one of us. So you say, well, you know, I'm good. I don't need that. Don't fool yourself. The word of God is a mirror to show us who we can be in Christ. Every one of us can grow. Every one of us can, can continue to take steps forward in who God has created us to be. So God wants to bring you out. God wants to free you. The third one is that he says, I will redeem you. The word redeem actually means to bring you back to your original intent. To bring you back to your God-designed purpose. Like God created you with purpose. He didn't create you and be like, hmm, wonder what I'm going to do with this one here. Like, no, he already knew. I mean, the Bible says it this way, is that before I ever formed you, I knew you. Before God ever began to put you together, he already knew you. He already had a plan. He already had a purpose. He knew everything about you. As a matter of fact, Psalms tells us that even while you were in your mother's womb, I was watching you. Every single one of us. I mean, and he talks about it in great detail. That God was watching over us. Why? Because he had a purpose for us. That's where we want you to discover your purpose. Why are you here? The last part is where he talks about is that God wants to take us as his people. In other words, I want you to know where you belong. And when you know where you belong and you know who you are, then you know what to do. And part of that is going out and, and sharing with people what God has done in your life. Everybody has a testimony. You're like, yeah, but mine isn't great. It may not seem that great to you, but I can guarantee you, God will use you to touch some people. And so, yes, I mean, we have a vision for the church. But what I want you to catch is that when we understand why we're here and you understand that this is what God wants for you as an individual. And it's not just something that was slapped on the wall somewhere. And it's just kind of like, oh, yeah, this is. Loosely, no, this is a core conviction is that this is what God wants for every single person on the planet. God wants them to know him intimately, personally, in a very real way. He wants you to be able to what? Get, get your old Egypt out of you. Whether you realize it or not, you have an Egypt too. That was your life before Christ. And yet there's still some things that may be lingering from Egypt that God wants to help you move beyond so that you can walk in real uh, freedom in real life. God's created you for purpose. And, and so we have to be able to move forward and say, well, and you say, well, I thought we were talking about Ephesians and unity. I am. I'm communicating to you the basis of why we are here, why we function as a church. Why do we open our doors? Why do we turn the air on this morning? Why did anybody show up? It's for this purpose. It's those four elements. It's because this is the heart of God. Why? Because he says, I am going to build my church. God doesn't do it through a program. God doesn't do it based off of four steps, although it's easy to communicate. That's why we say it. But if we find a better way to do it and to say it than that, we'll change it. But what God is committed to is people. And to seeing people come alive unto Christ, seeing their lives be transformed, that they would be able to experience all that God has for you, for them. This is the heart of God. Is it meant he loves us as his kids? But he's also concerned about the ones who aren't here. 
And this is why we exist. It's why, I mean, we want you to grow and to understand. And part of your growth is going to be getting in relationships, getting in some groups, getting in around some people who can help you grow and develop. And so over the next couple of weeks, next two Sundays, we're going to have information for you. Find a group, find a place to get hooked in, find a place to belong, if you will. Find a, find a crew of people. And if you see a group or if you don't see a group that you're interested in, start one. You're like, well, that freaks me out. We'll help you. I promise you we'll help you. Because we want to see God do something great. We want to see God work and move in people's hearts and in their lives. And it's important that we understand why we're here. Because if, if we all know why we're here, we can actually be united. Right? That means we're all praying in the same direction. We're all moving in the same direction. And when unity happens, what happens? God commands a blessing. That's what we want. We want to see God bless what's happening. We want to see God bless what we're doing. We're not here just to go through the motions. We're here to see God show up. For God to move in people's hearts. To see people's lives transformed and changed. And people come alive unto God. That's the whole reason that Jesus came. I mean, it's the gospel in a nutshell. Is that Jesus came so that what? So that dead men could come alive. Not so that good men could become better men or women, however you want to say it. No, he came so that we could be made alive unto God. And so I want to pray this morning over you. I know this was a little different message. I know it was a little, especially a lot different for the series. But as I was praying, I just felt stirred in my heart to communicate some of these things. And as I said, I'm going to be going more in depth here uh, a little bit later this year into some of these things. And, uh, but I do want to pray over you this morning because I believe that you're...